Good morning. This is State of the Arts NYC, and this is your host, Savannah Bailey McLean. And today we have joining us uh, a nice young man who is a part of an exhibition at the Drawing uh, Center that's in Soho, and that is Nathaniel Mary Quinn. How are you, Nathaniel? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yes, yes, yes. Great, Nathaniel. So it's such a pleasure to have you on to our show. And Nathaniel uh, is a part of this um, show that's called um, For Opacity. And that it's, is correct. Right. It's at the uh, Drawing um, Center. And basically, it's three artists whose works, uh, you have Elijah Berger, you have Toyin Otula, and I've met her before when she was the artist residence at the Studio Museum in Harlem, and Nathaniel mm -hmm. Mary Quinn. Now, Nathaniel was born in Chicago, right? You're a Chicago boy. That is right. Uh, born in 1977, and you were yes. exploring the identities uh, through drawing, you're a survivor of um, the Robert Taylor housing projects in Brownsville, correct? Yes, I'm on South Side of Chicago. That, that is correct. Okay. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to become an artist in the first place and why you selected, you know, doing figurative works or figurative and abstract works um, as um, your practice? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, well, thank you so much for having me as a guest on your podcast show. I'm a huge fan of podcasts mm -hmm. and uh, very happy to be speaking with you and your audience. Um, well, I can't say that there was a time when I chose to be an artist. I think it chose me. Mm. Um, you know, it's one of those things where I never had the experience where I was ever confused about what drove me in life and or what I was passionate about. I never had that issue. Mm -hmm. I've had many people who feel like they are in search of their calling or their purpose and this sort of thing. And I, I can't relate to that. You know, I always knew and felt that um, I wanted to make art. I mean, just sort of in my DNA, uh, I guess it's fair to say that I was born with this natural ability mm -hmm. to draw and paint and draw figures and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it all, it all, obviously it all began um, during my childhood uh, as I grew up in the Robert Taylor Homes in Chicago. And um, I, my 
parents, uh, once they learned that I had this uh, talent, they began to hone my skills, uh, in particular, my father. Um, I mean, both of my parents could not read or write. Really? Uh, they were both illiterate. Yeah, yeah, my parents were illiterate. Um, we were poor, working class poor. Um, but we were not unique. You know, every resident in the Roberts Hill homes, I mean, this was like a working class poor community on uh, this tenement housing. And, um, but my father knew how to draw, and he was very good, actually. And he would take me uh, to the side on Saturdays, and uh, we would sit at the little, um, you know, Ricky kitchen table, and he would take the shopping, the brown shopping bags from the nearby grocery store. It was called Super Jet. Okay. And, and he would tear them in half to make them flat, you know, and we would draw the characters from comic books, like Marvel comic books and DC comic books, and and my father would sort of train me. He, he, he was essentially my first art teacher. Um, I was young. I mean, this, I, this, this was I must have been like maybe five, six years of age. Where where, where your your family is from originally? You know, I'm not sure where my dad may be from, but I did hear a tell that my father was from New Jersey and he escaped to Chicago on the account of a murder that he committed while living in New Jersey. This is the story that was told to me. Wow. Um, that's that's all I know. And my mother is from Mississippi. I'm not sure which town or city in Mississippi mm-hmm. uh, she was born or where she may have come from. But I do know, in fact, she uh, is from Mississippi and uh, was part of that sort of great migration period, at least the right. latter end of it, and right. migrated to Chicago. And, and, you know, during that time, you know, the Robert Taylor homes were <clears throat> very nice. Uh, Tenement housing, actually. I mean, there was uh, groomed grass and newly painted fences and stuff. And I think those the, the tenement housing were officially designed to help single mothers with families to get on their feet as they made their transition into the sort of mainstream community of Chicago. But um, I think over time, the you know city government. Um, abandoned their responsibilities to these, uh, you know, housing and let it go. And um, it became what it is, it is now, you know, mostly known for, which is a gang-infested, drug-populated, you know, really bad community, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, you're... Perpetual, yeah. No, 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 I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but at the same time, moving forward, so coming from that um, environment, and your father teaching you how to draw at the kitchen table. A lot of us learn things at the kitchen table at home. Um, what motivated you to focus on drawing figures? Did you draw figures of the people in your neighborhood, or did you draw people outside, or uh, what motivated you to now draw different types of, I guess, people? Well, I mean... You know, like I said before, I mean, uh, you know, during, as a kid, I would draw, I would copy uh, carnival characters, you know, mm-hmm. so I think 
from that point, I just had this affinity for drawing the figure. Okay. And I just, I just liked it, you know. Now, remember, growing up there, this was a place like filled with all kinds of gangs, a gang culture, you know, where I grew up. And so drawing was a means by which I was able to purchase my own protection mm. because I was draw the gang leaders in the community and they liked it so much and I would do drawings of them as yeah. superheroes and then they in return it, it, it got me some protection you know so everyone was like oh that's really neat you draw you know and don't mess with him you know he's the artist around here so it, it gave me a lot of uh, reverence you know and I like the feeling of that to think that this thing that I can do with my hands mm-hmm. is actually giving me this protection. So it, it, it turned out that drawing was a, a very high level, um, um, you know, currency for me. Wow. Um, and I use it to my advantage because it helped to sort of keep me safe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, of course, if you ran to other rival gang members who didn't know who you were, I mean, you can run to props then, but... For the most part, um, it was great currency for me. And I, I liked that, you know. And, um, you know, there were other kids in the community who could draw as well. And and um, other kids would challenge me to drawing and stuff. We have drawing <laughs> competitions. I would always win. And then they would become like my acolytes. So I started to teach them how to draw the figure and how to draw fists and hands, you know. These are some of the things that, as a draftsman, you probably would have difficulty rendering like a hand or a seat but for me it came with such great ease you know so mm. uh i had a drawing club that i began to form with many of the my peers in the community there yeah wow you took it to another level interesting so now this new exhibition that you're doing at the drawing center are your figures the same uh figures are they people from your neighborhood or did you move on to different subject matters Oh, God, not these days is very different. I mean, there is one, well, well, in the show at the drawing center, um, you know, it's um, a survey of works over the past four years. So from 2014 to present, um, you know, some of the early works I made pretty much at the, during the active stages of my career were works about people from Chicago, you know, from those, from the projects and, you know, where I grew up. Um, but the more current pieces are pieces of people in my neighborhood today in Crown Heights. So it's uh, much ah. more contemporary. Yeah. And so who do so, you, so when you, when you look at Crown Heights, that's a very diverse neighborhood, isn't it? Well, yeah, you know, the gentrification is a, um, it's pretty heavy right now throughout Brooklyn. Um, it's one of the most robust real estate markets in the world. <laughs> I would say and, so. And uh, two, two and a half years ago, my wife and I, we bought a house in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, um, on St. Mark's Avenue. And we were very happy about it. And I must say, we we really did got ahead of the curve here, you know, because um, two years ago to now, I mean, the prices are like, very different, but um, but when we moved here two and a half years ago, the community was, you know, at the beginning of that shift, 
and gentrification, but it was still somewhat sketchy. Mm-hmm. It wasn't dangerous, mm-hmm. but you could still see some of the old remnants of the old Brooklyn, you know. Right. And and many of the the residents they um. But it's a mix you know, there. You have a, a a large Caribbean community. You have yeah. a large Hasidic community that live right next door to each other. You know, they're they're like uh, in one sort of big community. You have, I still think, uh, isn't um, Brooklyn Museum a part of Crown Heights a little bit? Oh, yeah, it, 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 it's most certainly at Crown Heights. Mm-hmm. But see, the Brooklyn Museum is like sort of on the other side of Crown Heights, uh-huh. like, you know, a little bit past Notion. Where I am is on the opposite side, okay. which is the new frontier for gentrification. I mean, uh, have all these condos coming up and houses being renovated and sold and uh, purchased for these large sums of money, you know, $1.5 million, sort of thing. And um, But this is how it all began. So my wife and I, we move into the house, we move everything inside, everything's still in their boxes. We're tired. We lay down in the bed just to rest and go to sleep. However, in front of the house were a group of guys, maybe 10 of them. And they were talking loudly and playing music and stuff. Now, my wife is from London. She's a black British woman. Okay. So she sees this kind of activity. She thinks she's on the set of BET, you know. And she's thinking (laughs) she's going to go out there and just tell them what time it is and they get from away from in front of the house. Now, I know this is not a TV set, right? This is real life. <laughs> and I say to her, whoa, whoa, don't you, don't say anything. Let me talk to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm from the hood. I'm not having this. I got this. So I go outside. I just start talking. I introduce myself to them. I make them laugh and stuff. Use my charisma. Just warming up to them, you know. And Because um, there's two things I do for certain. Number one, Obviously, these guys grew up on this block. They right. grew up in the community. Right. Number two, um, these guys clearly exhibited the sort of behavior patterns that strongly suggested that they might have done some prison time. Okay. They may still be in that dark world of drug dealing and selling. Maybe some of them are carrying weapons, like a gun or something of this nature. I just, you just, know, I just know this stuff. So... We just, I just warmed up to him and started talking. And then as a result of that discussion, one of the guys, I'll never forget that he said to me, hey, man, I want you to know that we really appreciate the respect you showed us wow. because we were standing in front of your house. And as a result of that, we're going to move from in front of your house mm-hmm. so we know you and your wife trying to sleep. But you should also know that if you would have come at us in a disrespectful way, we'll be whooping your ass up and down the street right now. You know. So, wow! Oh, they made I it said, real, didn't they? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They 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 show no hesitation about it. But as a result of that night, over the past two years, I um developed developed a very healthy relationship with them. That's and I'm good. Tell you something. These guys, they share everything with me. They're so generous about their lives and what it was like back in the 90s and what their mom did and who was a crack addict and what the father died, how much time he did in jail. I mean, all, I mean, just everything. They just sort of... They needed kind of a friend. Yeah, they needed you know? a friend. Mm-hmm. 
and, and it was really cool. And they were always calling me the square, you know. So <laughs> in this, in that world, a square is someone who has a job, and you know, you working and stuff. You probably went to school, this kind of thing. And I said, man, why you guys call me a square? And they said, man, Quinn, we want to be a square like you, man. Like uh, what you're doing is what we strive to do, okay. you know. But we just too far along in the street life. We don't, you know, this is all we know, you know. So they just, so that now that now we got to a place of where they're allowing themselves to be vulnerable in front of me now. They trust me. Mm. And those experiences are what gave rise to these ideas where I began to make a body of work gotcha. about the community. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, now that's a heck of a story. That's a real story. And, it, it, and it's not that different. I mean, uh, I'm African American too, and mm-hmm. but I grew up differently. Um, my family was working class. They came from the South yeah. too. My grandmother was a part of that Black migration, and mm-hmm. um, but we always lived in a house. And um, it's not until I became an adult I lived in an apartment building. But I always lived in a house, and yeah. So you're dealing with people in the neighborhood, and so I find that sometimes setting an example makes quite a difference. I garden. I garden everyday tree pits. And mm-hmm. people stop and they have conversations with me and they talk with me and they tell me what they like about what I'm doing or they tell me about their family too. And it just, that's how you build a community. It's through these interactions, these conversations, and you do impact each other's lives and it'll dovetail into other things. So this is great. So you created this body of work. Now, did you make your subjects superheroes or did you just drew them as they were and let that well, tell think, the story. Yeah, so here's the thing. Um, I think the reason that uh, Claire Gilman, who is the chief curator at the Drawing Center, mm-hmm. um, she, I mean, I'm very honored to be a part of this group exhibition with two of them. I mean, amazingly brilliant artists who are both like hugely successful and very talented. Uh, the show's called For Opacity, mm-hmm. which is based on an essay written by the Martinique philosopher. Yes, I do know. Edouard, Edouard Glissant. And yes. he talks about this uh, idea of relation. Mm-hmm. And when you relate this to somebody, it, it operates on a very opaque level. Now, that what that means is that you can't quite put your finger on it. It's not really concrete. But there's just a connection that you can have with someone who may be very different from you and maybe from a different walk of life than you. So, but, also, um, but also what he's trying to say is that he was dealing with it on a very deep level, dealing with colonialism and oppression yeah, that's, that's, that's right. and slavery, that you know what happens is that those who were oppressed, sometimes their stories get dominated by others trying to interpret their lives. And this is about not allowing that to happen, just allowing people to create a model and a platform for themselves outside of the dominant model. So therefore, you can just exist. And so that's what makes this also about opacity. So I didn't want that lost as well. Oh, no, thank you for sharing that. You are absolutely right. And, um, and so, in relation to the work, 
I took that exact same approach. Now mm-hmm. I tend to take that approach in my work anyhow. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I I I don't have an interest in painting the way that somebody looks. Okay. Because I don't think that tells the truth mm. of the spectrum of complexity of a human being. So these works that I well, I have a show up now at Salonity Fort Gallery. Oh, it's called okay. The Land. And it's about my community right here in St. Mark's and Crown Heights. And so every subject I have painted are either people I actually know or spent time with, mm-hmm. or they may, the, the works may be about a particular idea, you know. Uh, but most about people I know. So, um, and spending time with these guys on the block, and, and a few women, not many women, but mostly just men. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, what happens is um, a high level of empathy comes into the picture mm-hmm. where then you're allowed to be vulnerable and honest, mm-hmm. and the dynamic between you and the, uh, the other person is very pure, and there is an honest exchange where judgment is removed and... Um, you know, and, and also where your interpretation of what you're hearing is not involved. You know what I mean? Right. Just, you see their humanity, yes. Yeah, you see them for who they are. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to describe them. I'm trying to hear what they're saying and really feel where they're coming from. So the works that I create are born from visions that mm-hmm. come to me. Wow. And the vision... Is, is the blueprint, you know, it's like my preliminary sketch. And then based on that vision, I do research in magazines. And stuff. So I don't take pictures of them because mm-hmm. I, I think that's contrived. I think that what I'm trying to do is somehow find a way to paint and draw the complexities of Bobby or Terry mm. or JB or D or, or my man B, my next door neighbor. You know what I mean? Just based on my interactions with them and paint the truth of, at least as much as I can, right. to try to muster to the surface the truth of who they are, this beautiful concoctiony of intersections and the complexity of their foundation and the blossoming of their being and their identity. And, you know, of course, you have all these different colors and shapes that don't appear to fit, but they find a way to create a harmony in such disruptive shapes Ooh. because it turns out that's the way life really is. Isn't I mean, that something? You go, you go through life and you do indeed have experiences that don't seem to go together. But because those experiences have indeed happened to you, you must find a way to live with them. These experiences will shape your identity. And there is always a yin and a yang. I have a buddy who lives in Bedford Stuyvesant, white guy, he's an mm-hmm. artist, mm-hmm. he's a teacher. Okay. And when I lived in Bedford at the time, I had a two-bedroom, my wife and I lived in a two-bedroom apartment, and we noticed then rent started going up and stuff like that. And we talked all the time, I can relate to this guy, and I said, I said, isn't something how there's a, um, um, you know, how racism works against you? Because Ooh. based on the fact that you're white, you are expected to, to be able to pay this kind of rent. Okay. When you and I both know, you can't afford it. <laughs> but, 
you can't afford it. <laughs> but this is your lot in life because of the fictional, destructive belief system of race okay. and racism. So, but, but in my community, I, I, I now I was gentrified, right? And I bought a house in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. So now I'm on the other side of the fence. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to guys that remind me of the kind of guys I grew up with. Yeah, they do. They sound identical to the same guys you grew up with in the projects. Yeah. Right. But but I'm on the other side of the fence. I'm in a very different socioeconomic status. And I travel. I'm educated. You know, all this kind of thing. But I can still relate because I'm from yes. that backdrop. And in many respects, I relate to them more seamlessly than I can relate to many of the new people I've been meeting in the art world. I mean, because they're so honest. They they have no real shame. I mean, right. it's amazing right. the, the, the depth they're willing to go to be open with. Well, and, they, um, they, they realize that you're willing to hear them and you're willing, you're, you're, you're not going to shame them. Let me put it that way. You understand them. You're not trying to shame them. And so you built this trust and that's what they needed in order so that they could share. And in many ways, it's almost a form of poetry because you're allowing them to speak in a way that they, they normally do not, you know, get a chance to, you know, to speak. And this is great what you've done. You almost remind me of Kehande Wiley, because Kehande, who I've met, and you know Kehande, who did President Obama's portrait, you know, that's what he did. You know, he took these, you know, mostly men and created these backdrops that didn't match what you would think, you know, whether it would be floral or it would have other dramatic colors. It had this sort of Baroque sort of look to it. So therefore, folks, you know, you know, had to take a double take because you wouldn't imagine these men in these particular settings. And you're kind of doing the same thing, but you're really going in with a lot of local guys and you're talking to them and you're allowing them to share. And this is a great thing because now that's what the arts should be about it should be about that so now, now, I, I, I would i would offer one difference between let's say the work i create and the work created by candy wiley mm-hmm. I, I mean i mean i mean listen candy wiley i mean really i would say this i mean i tell everybody this i mean when years ago i think it was 2003 2004 when that guy started to explode mm-hmm. in the art world and he had his face on bus stations and the subway station, and he's on the cover of Art Form magazine. You know, and I was just so inspired by that because for me, I was like, man, it's a black man, right, doing very well in the art world, right, mm-hmm. the cream of the crop, and he's he's a quintessential black man, like mm-hmm. he's like a brother mm-hmm. you know, from L.A., mm-hmm. you know, from California, and and he dressed really well, and mm-hmm. he was just beautiful. And But in his work, um, what he, what I gather he did, and based on what I've read, is the sort of reinstating right. the black male body inside a history where the black black people are normally um, removed from. They mm-hmm. didn't have a place in that. Mm-hmm. And he's 
sort of reconstructing his history and placing these black bodies in that particular history, which is why he would have those sort of baroque yes. tapestries. Yes. Then there's a guy sort of front and center um, holding similar poses as you would see in baroque paintings and renaissance paintings, things like that. But there's a lot of sort of history implied in his work. Mm -hmm. It's very beautiful. Uh, whereas in my work, I, I'm, I'm very much diving into the actual humanity Mm -hmm. of a particular person, mm -hmm. you know, and are trying to bring to surface the uh, complexity of who they are. Okay. The, 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 world, the world that is oftentimes not seen. Because if you see a guy like, let's say, a, a Naquan, my neighbor, some, most people see Naquan walking down the street and just presume he's a thug, right? Okay. But when you talk to Naquan, as I do all the time, mm -hmm. This is a beautiful young man. He's 40 years old. Mm -hmm. He has children. He's a great father. Okay. He's a great husband. Good guy. Is deep and complex and smart and thoughtful. He's aware of the community and the world at large. He has dreams. And so I want to bring that out because what it does is that it confronts the viewership of the art world to not only look at Naquan, but to take a look at themselves and to then see how similar you are. You're not that far removed from Naquan. Ah. Like he, he has, he, and you may judge him on the basis of his, his race and how he dresses, and you may all oh, he's just a poor working class person, but check this out. Naquan has dreams like you. He has pain like you. He has happiness like you. He's complex just like you. I'm actually duplicating you through the lens of a brother that you wouldn't even know me speak to. But I'm going to present it to you in this way so it confronts you with the truth of who you are, and you're not that far removed from at all. You know, like you know, we have to wrap this up, but I want to tell you that I am so glad that I got a chance to talk with you. And I want to thank the drawing room and their communications team because they really impressed upon me to meet you, to talk with you. And I am just really thrilled about it because this was a fabulous fabulous conversation. I really enjoyed this so much and I am looking forward to going to the exhibition so I could see it, take pictures and hopefully get to meet you and your wife because this was quite enjoyable and you've made me really look at what we're dealing with in our in our country today very differently and I just want to thank you so very very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation as well. I would love <laughs> to meet you. Yes. Well, I just have to wrap up our show right now, but I just want to say thank you so much, Nathaniel. I had a cousin named Nathaniel. And um, I did. I had a cousin named Nathaniel. And and my grandmother tried to help him, too. And, yeah, he had some some troubles of his own, and she tried to help him as well. So thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. And tell everyone where your exhibition is at the drawing room, at the drawing center. Oh, excuse okay. me. Yeah, it's at the Drawing Center. The Drawing Center is uh, on Wooster Street in Soho. I don't know the exact address, but it's the Drawing Center Museum, and <laughs> the show opens on October the 7th. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, and we're wrapping up our show right now, and uh, I look forward to uh, meeting you.
Thank you.